This is Opposing the Matrix, and it is, what is it, the 21st of October, 2019. Um, with the, with me, I have uh, Jim and Eric. Hello, guys. Hello. How you doing? Good, good. I think Jim went to go get something to drink or something. Um, yeah, I'm bringing my coffee back. I... I not done making it. I'll be right back. We ought to do an opposing a matrix poll. How many of you out there think that having a chocolate cherry coffee sounds good? Um, I, th- I think it's a little bit nauseating myself, but you know, maybe I'm just strange. I don't know. Yeah, to each their own. I guess, huh? So, anyway, uh, tonight. Uh, Last week we talked about, Eric and I were here, and, and Jim had other obligations, and we talked about uh, JFK Jr., uh, whether he was going to make a comeback. Um, still think he is. Um, we also talked about other things having to do with uh, the deep state and, and the things that are going on in our country and our world uh, as of late. And and the whole uh, plan was to uh, for us to do that, and then for Jim to... Uh, to come in the next week and, and to present things that uh, <clears throat> some things that I've really never heard of before, to tell you the truth. Um, and, and he'll explain to you them to you further. <clears throat> but um, uh, Jim and I have a, well, we won't call him a friend. Uh, I don't even know if an associate's a good word, but we, we both know somebody. How's that sound? <clears throat> that um, without mentioning names, cause that's not important, but who, um, was kind of a disinformation agent in our in our field of work, and um, who's uh, always wondered, you know, why why and how that person got that uh, that ability, and then found out later on that his father served as a, an officer at uh, Fort Monmouth, New Jersey, and that was one of their their main things was uh, disinformation. So um, I think that's going to tie in a little bit with what we're going to talk about tonight because. Sometimes the sins of the fathers do transfer down to the sins of the sons, if the sons so choose to take on those sins. So, anyway, uh, uh, guys, uh, have you been watching the news and uh, any interesting things on uh, on on the Trump uh, trail? Eric, you're you're always up uh, up and running on this stuff. Anything, anything new? Well, there was a there was a congressman that uh, died. Um, I can't remember what his name was. was. Elijah Cummings. Um, yes, yeah. and and I'd like to point something out to you guys. He died on the 17th, right? Right. Well, what is the 17th letter of the alphabet? Q, isn't it? Yes, it is. Huh, that's interesting. <laughs> <laughs> so, can that be coincidence? 
Yeah or no, you know. <clears throat> there was some <laughs> numerical lineups for sure. <laughs> there were some other numerical lineups too. I was reading, and I can't remember what they were right now. But it's just like, you know, it it just makes me wonder when he had such a horrible, horrendous, racist. I mean, big time racist um, ideas and things that he wanted implemented. He was one of them that was really pushing for the uh, uh, that all blacks need to get, you know, a pay reparation for slavery. Right. Right. I mean, I, I'm sorry, folks, but I mean, that's the most ridiculous, outrageous thing I've ever heard in my life. Um, 200 years ago, the people that suffered slavery are now dead. There's not one person alive now that has ever suffered from the results of slavery. Oh, you can say mental anguish and reciprocation. I mean, you know, you know, watered down through the ages, whatever. Um, no, I'm sorry. How how dead is dead? Two hundred years ago, we're supposed to pay people today that never suffered anything as a result of slavery, but we're going to pay them reparations for two hundred years ago. People that are dead been dead for 200 years right, right um right. you know what then guess what guys i'm danish oh hey i think both of you guys are danish too yep yeah yeah well guys come on now pay your fair share how dead is dead 500 years or 200 years uh, would you agree with me that uh, 200 years is just as dead as 500 years yes, yes i will so where, in, so where do you put an end to it i mean our relatives yeah. plundered all of the european uh shorelines I mean, and hey, you know, we took slavery on a whole different level. We took our own people as slaves. We took everybody as slaves. Yeah. We were opportunistic. We didn't care. Black, white, brown, green, whatever. You know, we can catch them. You're ours. Now we can sell you. Well, yeah, you know, so, I would, so I wouldn't mind having years? a payday, guys. Oh, uh, no. My, my Dude, ancestors, you my ancestors suffered slavery back in Egypt 4,000 years ago. Uh, or 3,000 years ago. They, and oh, yeah, Italians Italian. and, and Germans were put into internment camps during World War II. So where's my reparations, you know? it's The only ones that need to get re any reparations are the American Indians. Yeah. If this, if this country is ever going to be great again, the way oh, – God, forgive me, no. The way Trump wants to make it. Right. We are, we are indebted to the Indians to own up and owe up to every betrayal treaty that we've ever made those people. Yeah. And uh, you know what? That day's coming. It's going to happen. I, I truly believe in this reset. That's going to be one thing I'm going to really be pushing for. And and uh, it's going to happen. It has to happen. Um, yeah. The American Indian is still alive, and they're still living in a controlled form of slavery on land that's worthless when they should have been given the best of the best, and I think they're going to have an opportunity to get that, and I hope we're going to own up to it and uh, let it go. Yeah. Uh, the Indians have, you know, all through any of our wars, all of our wars, the Indians have been there faithfully. Um, I guess they figured it was easier. They know what they get with us, and uh, I guess that was better than a jackboot uh, Nazis or uh, samurai sword uh, Japanese. So yep. I guess they figured they'd go to war, faithfully fight, and they gave us our best, their best, knowing that it wasn't going to change for them. But I guess they figured it was better than being under those guys because they were even crazier. So, right. you know, uh, these guys have shown nothing but honor, respect. They've given their best, and they still don't get 
a fair change back. So if America's ever going to go forward and be great again, we have to honor the treaties of all American Indians and give them the best of the best. And well, if we do that, you know, when you, because we don't say they're our enemies, but we treat them as enemies. We don't right. care about them, not really providing for them. Um, if we did actually did provide for them and gave them reparations, you know, we did that with the Japanese and what happened with that? They're our best, strongest allies. Yeah. They love us. Yeah. Because <clears throat> well, always comes out. Another way to look at it too is that the venereal disease did not exist in Europe before it was brought back by the conquistadors and, <laughs> and other Europeans. And uh, venereal diseases killed far more people than smallpox ever killed. So, you know, if you're gonna, if we're keeping tallies, you know. No, and that's the thing. We can't keep tallies. You know, this crap. Right. It's stuff in the past, man, and we hopefully should learn from our mistakes. It's no longer a matter of, you know, who's more right or more wrong. You know, wrong is wrong. Manifest right. Destiny was a, a doctrine from the pits of hell. Um, you know, and it, it literally disenfranchised and uh, dispossessed and, and treated a lot. You know, and I get so tired, it, it's... Always, it's, well, you white Christian Americans, you're the ones that did this. No. According to my scriptures, there's a whole bunch of whites that were fleeing the wrath of a dragon. A dragon came out like a flood and poured after them. And where did the woman go? She went to the wilderness. What did America, was America first called the wilderness? What happened as a result of the pilgrims, the first real born-again Christians that came to this country? They preached the gospel and the Indians got saved in masses. They thought it was the greatest thing that ever happened was Jesus. They were softened. They were naive. They looked at all of us as being all whites and we're all the same, so we must all believe the same way. No, because all the filth and New World Order garbage and trash came after us when they saw the massive amounts of uh, resources here and the profit that could be made here. All of a sudden, they're the ones that changed everything. They're the same ones that are still the corporate elite that are still pulling the same strings they, they pulled back then. They're pulling They continue to pull. The Christians came in first and preached the gospel. The others came in to exploit everything that the Christians had done. So there's, and it's in the Bible, it's sound doctrine. It's it's prophetically showing you exactly what happened. The woman leaving the flood, the flood being poured out of the mouth of the dragon, which was Satan himself. And it was even through the Holy Roman Empire. Mm-hmm. But even even then, we allowed our in our constitution anybody to have a freedom of re- Religion, even the Catholics that we were fleeing from, as far as the Holy Roman Empire part of it, anyway. I'm not saying that all Catholics were, you know, doom and gloom or bad. I mean, again, you can't base on color, you can't base on anything but inside the heart, and that you don't see with outward eyes. So, yeah, that's why I prefer that's to why use I prefer. the word the Vatican. Yeah. You know, it's the Vatican that orchestrates yeah. all that stuff. There's a lot of good right. Catholics Absolutely. out there that wouldn't do what the Vatican wants them to do. Sure. You know? Absolutely. Yep. So, but, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's a great big stupid world that we live in and it's, um, it's getting stupider all the time. But, um, but one of the things that, uh, you, you, we had been talking about, um, uh, well, last week we talked about the the possible return of KJFK Jr. And we looked at the, uh, the evidence is that he may be alive, but, um, uh, and I, you know, I still do believe that 
those evidence are true. But, you know, <laughs> I had a laugh because when I brought it up to somebody, they said, yeah, they believe the same thing about JFK when he first was killed, you know, that he survived and he was living in a sanitarium somewhere, you know, with brain damage. And, and you know, it's <laughs> they were coming up with all these different things. And, you know, I can, I can see that. <clears throat> I can see people being doubters because of that, you know. But um, I don't know. The J, there were well, there wasn't an internet, of course, and there wasn't YouTube back then, and um, so everything was kind of passed passed about from mouth to mouth, or you know, in writing. And I'm sure you guys played this game in school. We used to call it telephone, and the teacher would come up. She'd have you line up, uh, you know, uh, side by side, and she'd whisper something in the first person's ear, and then they passed it on to the next person. And by the time it got down to about the <clears throat> maybe 10th or 15th person, it had totally changed. You know, there might be one or two words that were left in the sentence, but it right. was weird. You know, it was like maybe Aunt Martha snores at night and Uncle Bill gets mad. And by the time it got down to the last person, it was, you know, uh, well, you use your imagination. Um, but anyway, the things that are usually passed down by word of mouth, um, if they're not backed up by, by some kind, something else, you know, it's, usually get corrupted so um you know i could see things being corrupted back then but now when you have all the video evidence all the audio evidence uh um people wanting to speak up and and tell the truth about it it's uh it's quite it it could be quite difficult to to uh weed out the truth from fiction so you have to really be careful but uh from what i've seen it's 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 a reality but jim uh we were we were talking about you know, we were talking on the phone just a little while ago, and uh, <laughs> a lot of times, folks, uh, you wouldn't believe the dimensions that the show takes before we, we get on the air, because uh, there's been times when uh, when Jim and I have had nothing, you know, in the past, and I mean, maybe even the three of us in, in the recent past, but, uh, and then we just said, well, we got to do a show, so we're going to get on there, and it turns out to be one of the best shows we've ever had, and, uh, you know, and Nothing that we did, of course, we always attribute the uh, that to the Holy Spirit and give God the glory for that. But uh, so today I called him up and I said, "Hey Jim, I totally just totally forgot what we were talking about tonight." And he reminded me it was it was a good thing that one of us remembered. <clears throat> and uh, so uh, tonight we're going to explore some some I guess maybe some disinformation stuff, some uh, some things about uh, people that you've probably heard of that you didn't know that uh, was in their lineage or in their, uh, you know, that their parents did or that they did. Um, And uh, so I'm going to, Jim, if you would just, if you wanted to take it away, the whole Jim Morrison thing just totally blows my mind. So I don't know if you want to start with that, but, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's yours. Why don't you uh, go ahead and, um, you know, I wish I would have had good soundtrack, you know, stuff in the background. I would have started out, you would have heard, um, anybody that's a boomer would know it and right away you'd hear boom, 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 boom. That would be a good place to start. Inagata de Vida, Iron Butterfly. One hit wonder. Um, yeah. You know, it was, believe it or not, it was supposed to be in the Garden of Eden. They prepaid their uh, airtime and they couldn't get it changed so you go with what you had they were so 
sauced up and drugged up, the best they could do was it had got a Davida when it was supposed to be in the Garden of Eden. It was probably divine providence, God interceding or whatever. I mean, these guys had their own. If they would have sung in the Garden of Eden, a lot of people might have gotten the connection to that in all of their songs they sung about, which had a very sick, twisted, drug-infected uh, theology that was very anti-Christian. Um, it was, you know, I'm sure it was not the Illuminati planning behind secret meetings, you know, to create all of this it was pre-programmed. It was just, here's this drug counterculture. They've got some pretty kicked-in-the-head goopy ideas. And so they put this whole album up that's basically just drug-infected, uh, alcohol-induced uh, theology that was BS. Uh -huh. And the, the good news is that song defined almost the 60s. I mean, it, that song epitomized the 60s, and it had such a good beat. You know, it, it was a good song that was really cool, and so you just listened to it. Well, everybody did like me. You listen to the beat. You don't even hear the words. You don't even make any kind of connection to any theology. It just goes over your head, but it's a really, really cool song. So everybody learns, you know, how to play it or sing it or, uh, you know, I had a little garage band. I was a lead singer and bass player, and I learned the organ part on it because I wanted to. And, and uh, within our band, we teach each other our different instruments, so we learn, you know, different parts of it. So me, I knew the organ part, and I knew the bass part, and I was, and I did the singing. But um, never made no connection with any, you know, theology or anything because the song was just really cool. It had a great beat, and we never saw past that. Now, what has that got to do with any? Well, you know, it it spared us uh, some garbage theology, but the bass player, not the original bass player, but later on they picked up this other guy, bass player, and this bass player went on to, um, oh gosh, he he graduated with such high honors that uh, the Department of Defense and and a, a lot of other organizations wanted him working for them. He ended up getting a job. This is like a part-time job while he's finishing up his PhD. He got a part-time job working on the MX missile and fixed and repaired all of the engineering flaws on the MX missile for Northrop. Then he went from there, he went into um, um, cell phone technology. Now this is back, you know, in the early seventies. So cell phones were still not even available for the average person yet. He developed a formula a formula for transmitting matter faster than a speed of light. Whoa. Talking the formula for time travel. Huh. Now, this guy ended up working with the Department of Defense. Hush, hush, top secret kinds of stuff. He found out that there was a bigger picture connected to this, that we had already been working on those kinds of programs. Now he's beginning to understand some of it. Now, the interesting thing is that I come across all of this, so I put it in one of my videos that I had posted on YouTube. Remember when I had a channel on YouTube? Yeah. Before yeah. it was considered hate. And uh, so one of my videos, I alluded to the fact that um, he became aware of the bigger picture and was going to inform the public because he felt that the public had a right to know. So on his way to... Um, where he was going to start coming out with this stuff, uh, he decided to turn off the road and commit suicide, which, you know, a lot of people do when they're going to inform. They're going to just all of a sudden at the peak of their careers or whatever, they're going to commit suicide. So I alluded to the fact in this movie uh, that uh, that a video that I made that 
he was actually taking out the government's style and method, and that's the way they do it. Right. Um, some relatives of, of his got a hold of me, and they were very upset that I had drawn his conclusion. They said, you don't understand. He went crazy. Now, the wife is the only one that said no. He loved his family more than life itself. He would have never done anything cowardly like that. He would never have done that to his family. Right. And, uh, and I tend to agree with her on that. But this is what they told me. They said, no, you don't understand, Mr. Wilhelmson. Uh, he went insane at the end of his um, life. He got involved in some kind of celestial. It was taken from a movie, the Celestion, Celestrian Prophecy. There was a cult, New Age kind of a cult group that he became a member of. But they told me, they said, no, he went off the deep end. He went really crazy. He was talking. He was ranting on about time travel, about aliens, about um, um, Nephilim, the Bible, and, and just talking crazy stuff. He just he went crazy. I said, thank you very much. And they said, what do you mean? I said, thank you very much, because you just verified everything that I've been trying to tell you. As crazy as you might think. What he found, they said, yeah, and he kept mentioning about sound, light, and vibration. I said, yeah, like what Nikola Tesla already knew about. I said, so guess what? He discovered there was a bigger picture, and it did involve all of the above, including the Nazis, which you don't know anything about, and I'm not going to get with it right now with you, but you just verified to me everything that you just told me is exactly why he was taken out, because there was a bigger picture, and as crazy as this might sound. Now, I had this conversation with him back in 2011, I think it was. And um, so a lot of years have passed now. And I told them back then, I said, this might sound crazy talk now, but eventually times are going to catch up and you're going to find out that these are elements to a picture that your relative was aware of. He did not die as a coward uh, committing suicide. He died as a patriot, as a uh, a hero, trying to inform the con- his fellow countrymen of just how deep a dirty, nasty rabbit hole went. And how much we were involved with stuff that we didn't even know who we were involved with. Right. And, of course, they, you know, they thought I was definitely just as Looney Tunes as, as their uh, dead relative. But I, I'm sure they're reconsidering now. They've never gotten back with me on anything. But they didn't need to. to for me, personal satisfaction, of I had, you just verified everything that I had, uh, you know, been suspicious of. But now you being closest to them or to your, you know, relative, um, you just confirmed everything. So um, the bass player definitely was a significant missing element to UFOs and aliens. Who would have thought that Iron Butterfly would be associated with anything like that? Oh, and a crazy thing that happened in Detroit, 1967, Iron Butterfly's number one hit. I mean, they, you know, on the charts for months number and number one. And uh, they're going to play at the Grandy Ballroom here in, in Detroit, Michigan. That was the place of places to, you know, have major concerts. And they were fuming. Some new upstart group that didn't even have their new, their one song that they came out with and even called them a one-hit wonder. They didn't even actually come out and market it yet. And they got top billing. They were playing back. This other group was playing backup. They were supposed to be top billing. So this other group, like I said, their, their new song, Whole Lot of Love, hadn't even hit the market yet. And this one-hit wonder group was called the Iron, the Led Zeppelin. Right. <laughs> <laughs> oh, if they would have only known. I mean, you know, one-hit wonder, guys, after Inagata DeVita, you never had nothing else of any significance ever again. And you tried 
revitalizing, I don't know, three or four times. It just didn't happen for you. But here, <laughs> the other group almost prophetically gets top billing, Led Zeppelin with Iron Butt. I mean, Led Zeppelin. I thought it was almost, I actually remember it because I had tickets to go to that concert. And uh, that was funny when, you know, we heard uh, Led Zeppelin. Oh, yeah, they're cool. Well, that's just as cool as Inagata Vita. Well, I guess it was way cooler because how many hits did they have? Now, it is funny, though. Um, uh, Jimmy Page had all kinds of occult connections, lived in, uh, uh, what the heck's Ellis Crowley's house, yeah. Uh, so there's a lot of crazy connections. And the other one, Jim Morrison and the Doors. Yeah. My gosh. When I came across this connection, this just, it blew my mind. Jim Morrison's daddy. Now, I knew he was, I knew he, I didn't know he was an admiral. I knew he was a high up officer. Um, with, uh, I thought it was Air Force intelligence. It was um, naval intelligence. Oh, okay. Actually, he was a rear admiral. He was the youngest rear admiral that ever became a rear admiral at that age. He was also, um, his ship was the ship that was on the cutting edge of everything. It was the Black Ops ship. So, in other words, um, things that never happened that did happen or things that did happen that were made to never happen happened because of his ship. He was like the front line of all black ops. He had the top highest security clearance for everything because he was the clandestine ship that went in and made things disappear or made other things happen that never happened. So they, they were, so they knew his daddy knew everything about UFOs and, and whatever contact the Navy had. Guess who, you know, it's like, you know, like father and son. I mean, Jimmy, when he was a young kid, went with dad on the ship everywhere. Jim was exposed to everything his dad knew, pretty much he knew. Wow. When I discovered that, I had to listen to all the songs over again. I started thinking of Crystal Ship, Riders on a Storm. I'm going, oh, my God, the end. I'm going, whoa. When I started listening to the, the Doors. You know what that's alluding to? Portals? Yes, absolutely. That was just right. a guess. <laughs> really? Well, it's, it was a good guess. Absolutely. This guy knew everything. Light, sound, vibration, everything that Tesla knew. He knew about, he knew everything that I know as far as quantum physics. Now, quantum physics isn't a new thing. Actually, quantum physics first came out around the 20s. That's when they started realizing, you know, the and hypothesizing some of the things that have happened. Then it got its resurgence in the um, 50s and, and 60s especially. Um, and then most recently, confirmations by every quantum physicist that concluded that, you know, wow, we're not even living in a real world. This is a matrix. And there's somebody's. it's a computer program. So who's running a computer program? Well, I right. can tell you that. It's easy. It's in the Bible. The God of this world. This world's Pinocchio world. It's not real, but... It is one that is trying to be real, and uh, I guess that's why the Bible continually warns us about the confession of our tongue from the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So be careful what you speak, because it's like a rudder. It'll set the course of events. Man, the Bible was warning us. God already knew about quantum physics, because guess who created it? <laughs> he did. Yeah, right. And he's in control of it. So what, what amazed me. Now, here's the other thing. Rear Admiral um, Morrison 
hated Israel, wanted to see Israel annihilated any way possible. He was into replacement theology, basically, but he also believed that that um, the people in there that were not there, Jews that weren't Jews, and of course they'll quote the, you know several scriptures and try to make a big you know statement on it. So he was all for the destruction and annihilation of um, of Israel. Um, the son, not so much. Now, when when um, Jim Morrison went to college, he went to um, UCLA and got a degree in filmmaking. And so his passion was filmmaking, and he was a poet. He was never a musician, had no musical talent. Um, he could sing, but he didn't know how to play any kind of interest, interest, instrument and really didn't have a, much care for it. He was not he, – he took drugs when he had to, but he didn't like drugs. He was a drinker, and he wasn't ashamed of it either. He, you know, he liked to slam his alcohol, but he was a drinker. He was a conservative. Republican. He wasn't a hippie. He wasn't part of the hippie movement. He didn't like hippies. He didn't even like them. Huh. When he graduated, when he graduated um, UCLA, the Department of Defense, the CIA, the NSA, they all wanted him working for them. This guy graduated with such high honors. They all wanted him working. The next thing you know, he disappears. So he's going to decide what he's going to do, you know, for his life and everything. And so he disappears for a couple of months. And the next thing you know, he comes up, and his relatives didn't even know exactly what he was doing. He's in a band, a rock band, called The Doors. Mm-hmm. My claim is that this was part of a, I don't know whether it was CS, CIA or NSA, it was part of a program to redirect a nation in the way that they wanted to steer him through his music and songs. But Jim Morrison is his own person. He's not going to play games with, with the... Um, the government, he's going to do his own thing. Uh-huh. And contained in all of his songs were every matter of physics, normal physics and quantum physics to explain everything about time travel, about interdimensional travel. I mean, right down to the Mandela wheels, uh, um, the Einstein Bose, uh, Boson um, pilot wave theory, right? Uh, all of it in detail. Even he prophesied in his songs, in his last album, his own fake death. Uh-huh. He didn't die. He faked his death, and I think it's, the evidence is there to really prove it, especially when he's already told you in his songs, encrypted in his songs, that this is what he was going to do. He knew he knew too much, and he was saying too much, and he knew his death was already plotted and planned. So the best way to... Um, Escape is to fake his death. You don't look for somebody that's dead. I mean, there was no. This is one of the things where he was he was found um, overdosed in a in a bathtub uh, within hours. No no forensics testing or anything. He was uh, burnt, you know, cremated and put in the ground. Huh. No medical reports, no nothing. I mean, just like instantly dead and boom, now he's gone and now he's ashes. Nobody can prove anything. Um, because he faked it out just like he said he was going to do. So you make it really makes you wonder who, how many movies or he might have influenced or had some sway into. And I've always wondered, could he have helped promote some of the uh, Star Trek series, which takes us to another galaxy far, far away. <laughs> MK Ultra program. 
mm-hmm. right after uh, we brought over the Nazi scientists from the collapsed um, Third Reich. Um, all of your paperclip scientists were first assembled into one common place, a meeting place, in 1940, uh, well, from 45 to 47, and they were distributed out to uh, different other various locations, whether it had been Jet Propulsion Laboratory, uh, Huntsville, Alabama, uh, where they were making the rockets, to Cape Canaveral in Florida, or to um, Brookhaven in California for genetic experiments and stuff, Montauk or time travel and other outside-of-the-box genetic manipulation stuff, or mind manipulation stuff. They did it at McGill Hill University in Ontario because it was illegal to do in the United States. So guess what place they were, where their common place was, though, that they first gathered together? Roswell, New Mexico. <laughs> Imagine that. Imagine wow. it. And that's something. And um, so that's where they were originally gathered. The paper group scientists went there first, and then they were – taken from there and distributed according to their expertise and uh, what they were going to be working on went to these other locations. Now, um, there was a, an American who worked with the um, MKUltra program, Gott, uh, Gottlieb. He pioneered all of the um, Manchurian candidate type of uh, work that they were trying to do in McGill University. Then all of a sudden they heard that the Russians – we're working on telekinesis, you know, mind moving, you know, objects, material objects and remote viewing. And they were getting accurate records of spying by out of body travel and seeing locations and drawing pictures and maps that were too close to the truth to be just, you know, some vague ideas. So they kind of in a panic, they said, okay, we got to shift gears. We got to, we got to start breaking off from the, Manchurian candidate kind of thing to these other things. We got to keep up with Russia and what the Russians are doing. So one of the guys was from India and uh, originally, and he was uh, one of the heads of, of the uh, Project Penguin, which was a, a program that they were immediately slapped together to try to catch up with what the Russians were doing. And the guy that was from India, I had all these in my notes, and I, I was looking for them while I was getting my coffee, and I couldn't find them. So um, on another day when it doesn't matter, it's posted in my – I have all the actual information in my um, museum, though. I've got all the notes there. I didn't want to go in the other room and read them off of there, so that was just kind of weird. So the uh, best I can do is remember the guy's name. He was from India, um, but he was now an American citizen, and he was aware of someone else – from India, an Indian mystic, also a doctor uh, in psychiatry, PhD, uh, who was a mystic who had contacted um, so-called aliens, and they were called the the Nine. And so he asked them about bringing him over, because if the Russians were contact or doing telekinesis, this guy knows how to do that. He also knows about the astral projection, but he's one further ahead. He's been in contact with these aliens that the paperclip scientists are talking about. So maybe there's a connection there. We should bring them over and, and uh, see what they're doing. So they brought him over. They started the program, part of the Penguin. Um, he started getting a little concerned that, that um, he wanted to have, he could see the potential that this stuff is going to be used, just militarized and weaponized as a weapon 
as opposed to seeking out information. So he wanted to, to start a an offshoot using the same people, but using it working out of his home. So there was had less of a military quality to it and more of a personal application quality to it. So they started an offshoot there. This went actually more successful than the other. And they started having regular contact with uh, this, the nine, as they called them. And uh, they brought in some new people that had creditable backgrounds in the same kinds of areas. Or one particular guy was uh, familiar with uh, media and wanted, was very passionate about all of this stuff, the work and everything. And he was one of the quickest new people that they had that just got a hold of everything right away. A hard worker, made connections with uh, people in Hollywood. His idea was that this was so important that people had to start acclimating to the idea of eventual what we call disclosure. Um, you know, the, the realization that the Nazis had come in contact with superior beings. Now we are working on coming in contact with these superior beings. They work with the Nazis. Now they're working with us. Right. So we need to learn and get people in entertainment to influence society, to get them used to eventual disclosure. So this is how the, the whole program began. Now, the interesting thing is the guy that was this mover shaker that was highly motivated and started putting all these things together, he started, he said, look, we've got to start a fictional story to get the society used to what's coming so they can acclimate themselves to it. So if we can get a high profile television entertaining program on the air regular to explain who these nine are and what their rules of engagement are and and how they do things and what they do, then it'll help our society prepare for the day when they do make themselves known. So here's what this guy come up with. He was able to start putting together a show that was going to explain that there were nine sectors of this universe with nine leaders. And each leader had a certain section of the universe that he was personally responsible for, for bringing them into a larger intergalactic community. But they had certain rules that they had to follow. And so the one that was in our section, we knew him uh, by many other names, but the primary name was Jesus Christ. And so he's representing a federation of planets. And the reason why they don't announce themselves to a civilization, they have a certain prime directive that they don't make contact with the civilization until they can reach intergalactic warp speeds themselves. So until that time, they won't intervene unless there's an emergency. They'll clandestinely come down and work within the society and do what needs to be done to save their culture, but not by contaminating it, by giving them technology or anything until they have reached this ability to travel faster than the speed of light. Right. The prime directive. Does that kind of sound familiar to you guys a little bit? Sounds like Star Trek. Yeah, it does. Exactly. Like well, it. 
the guy that was this uh, prodigy that said that, hey, we need to get the society ready and prepared was Gene Roddenberry, producer, yeah. author of the Star Trek series. Amazing. Star Trek for the last 60 years has made more impact on this society than any other film ever. The idea that I've always said is that yesterday's science fiction is today's inspiration and tomorrow's reality. And they've actually made a documentary on all the technology that was derived from Star Trek from the 1967 uh, series when it first came out with tricorders, um, um, what the little, the comm badges, the little um, uh, beam me up, Scotty, you know, um, phones. I mean, all this is reality now. We have all this stuff. We don't have teleportation. Well, we do, but you know, we don't know about it yet. But we do have it. People say, "Oh, that's science." No, um, actually, it's biblical. Uh, what happened to what happened to um, the eunuch um, or um, Philip after he baptized the eunuch? He was immediately transported 34 miles to another city. Instantly, he was Harpazio taken and transported instantly. So the physics of that is there. It's by so I'm putting all this together. I'm going, oh, my gosh. We have been conditioned. It was a, there was a film out, and this is how they're using Star Trek. Um, there was a film out called The Last Starfighter. Yeah. You guys ever see that one? I think so, yeah, yes. a long time ago. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yep. Well, this one, okay, this was, a, again, a planet that has, you know, didn't have space flight yet, at least pre-warp, you know, they weren't at warp speeds or anything like that. So you know how to utilize wormholes or warping space-time uh, with an Einstein-Rosen bridge uh, wormhole utilization. So they didn't know that, but yet they were going to be caught up in a war where they were going to suffer the consequences whether they were involved or not. So they had an idea that they would put video games of actual combat flight, combat flight simulators so if there were any Earthlings that were capable of reaching a certain level, they could be recruited to defend their planet, even though they weren't. That way they could be familiar with everything so that when they got there, they would know how to uh, fight. So this one kid scores high enough where, um, you know, he, he scored this level and they said that to, to wait there and, you know, that you'll be somebody will make contact with you. You've won a special prize or whatever. So this kid gets picked up by this guy in a car and, uh, they're going off, taking a turn off the mountain. And all of a sudden, um, all of a sudden he pulls out a, uh, like a CB unit or something in his, um, car. And he starts speaking in some crazy language and the car flies off the cliff and goes up into space. And next thing you know, he's, out in space talking about uh, going to the uh, to fight for the Kodan Armada or something like that. So it was everything in the, the game. Long story short, the kid got up there. He was an ace. Um, he could outfly all the rest of the pilots because he was already sim- – you know, he'd already been playing the flight simulator and so already knew how to do everything. So – It makes me think, uh, you know, just even – video games in general in a lot of the military games uh, a lot of younger people that go into the military now a lot of them don't have to be taught uh, a lot of military combat tactics because they are they already know it absolutely um, 
from the first-person shooters, just from that concept alone. So it doesn't really surprise me that, you know, it could be taken a step further than that in terms of, um, you know, an intergalactic war or whatever, you know. You know, uh, I can look at just even in my own life, I... Um, my short little brief stint in an outlaw type motorcycle club, I did carry a gun and I did shoot a gun. But prior to that, all my life growing up, my dad wasn't a hunter. I never went hunting anywhere, but I lived in an urban farmland area on three quarters of an acre out in the country. So I grew up with BB guns and I, I was good enough with a BB gun when the yellow jackets were out hovering around the um, pairs. My brother and I have a big bag of, of BBs and we could sit there and plunk and shoot them in mid flight. We were that good just in practicing on, you know, in, in squeezing the trigger, not pulling it and, and shooting. So I did that and I was always fascinated with any of the um, games at uh, any of the hamburger joints that I hung out at. I would always use, go to the shooting gallery ones and I'd, I'd shoot. So I was used to aiming and firing. So by the time I got in the Army, even though I had limited experience with just a pistol, by the time I was on a, um, a select switch M14, it went fully automatic. Or when I got to shoot a, a, a 30 caliber machine gun, I was one of the best shots in the unit. And I'd never really shot anything of that size before. But it was just all of the basic mechanics of, of squeezing off a shot, of aiming, knowing how to adjust, you know, for uh, range and distance and everything. Uh, yeah, I already had that down pat. So it made shooting real easy for me. So I know that, yeah, you're right. And and now when you go online and have these different combat things, you also are starting to learn how to do teamwork. So you're doing, you're usually actually having um, actual war strategies on maneuvers and everything that are also being used and you're getting experience at it. So when you jump into a combat situation, it's, it's already familiar. If you played a long, you know, years of Halo, you're already conditioned. You know, one of the things that I remembered, it was kind of a flashback situation I had. It was um, a situation that happened where I was in a life-death situation. And it's like I never realized how a person senses it's like you've been thrown in the middle of a lake. You can't go back because it's too far. you got to go forward or you're going to die. And you can't sit there and just tread water. So if you have any sense of self-preservation, you keep your eyes forward, you keep going forward, you get past the fear and the apprehensions and just do what it takes to get to the other side to survive. So the same thing, when you're in, when you're in a combat situation, people are zeroing in on you and they're going to kill you. You got to get past that, get past the fear and think logically, what's your best maneuver, what's the best possible way of, of surviving. And by doing that, you know, you, you will survive, but you got to get past the emotions. But just being back in that same uh, spot, you know, I mean, I did what was pretty normal. I first I cried out, Mama, I pissed my pants, and then I passed out. Oh, no, then I asked help from God, and then I passed out. God answered me. That was what, October 19th, 1970, the day I should have died, and I'm still alive. I know that was by all practical means the day I should have not existed anymore god spared me yeah it, you know i'm a hardhead it took me four years to realize that the the one person that i was you know i was getting into anything and everything 
except for that guy, Jesus. I just couldn't believe that it was him. But it took me four years, and I found out that it was him. And then all my answers, you know, began to come together and made sense. But not until then. So I'm a hardhead. I, I had to learn the hard way. Four years of getting into every kind of ism, schism, and existentialism, and a bunch of other whacked-out, goofy stuff. I'm glad I did now, though, because, you know, after you've been through all of the junk, it's easy to detect junk from reality. So I'm glad I got a little flirtation with all the junk first, so it made it easier to know the real stuff once I was introduced to Jesus. But, my gosh, we are being prepared, of all things. I just, you know, I look at Star Trek now, because I've been a fan of Star Trek, every every series that came out. So, you know, it, it doesn't surprise me that we have Deep, Deep Space Nine. Think of all the titles of all the different, you know, types of Star Treks that have come out since then. All of them are variations explaining the same story, the same thing, and repetitive patterns and variations. And I remember the last one to come out was... Um, they had two prequels. One was uh, Starship Enterprise with Scott Bakula. that used to play in Quantum... Uh, oh, what was the name? Quantum Leap. And then the latest one, um, Star, um, Star Trek Discovery. The last words the Star Trek Discovery said on the last season they had was almost haunting. It was very prophetic. It says, when the future becomes the past, the present is revealed. That's when, you know, you sit there and think about it and go, whoa, that's deep. Yeah, that's deep. Very, very deep. When Not the fu- for us, man. We know well, what it means. We know what it means, yeah. When the future becomes the past. In other words, a space-time paradox when our future has made the past, then where we're at right now is revealed for what it really is. And that's what apocalypse, we think of apocalypse, we think of all the doom and gloom, you know, things that are happening. Apocalypse actually means the lifting of the veil. Mm-hmm. It's being revealed. Something is being revealed. What's being revealed is our sense of reality is so different from what it really is because the future has now created the past. So now the present has to be revealed for what it really is. That's where we're living in right now. It's the revealing. Now, you're not going to get the truth from any kind of official government disclosure. They're going to sell you a bad rap. Disclosure is going to be nothing but the biggest um, pack of lies since the Garden of Eden, since the Genesis 6 um, charade that happened back then. And that's what we're on the eve of. My God, I knew that there was a coming cosmic Christ that was going to come, but I didn't think he was going to be wearing a Star Trek badge saying, beam me up, Scotty, or whatever. I mean, but it... it that's might, the way it's going to be. It, but yeah, that's the way it looks like. That's the way, it's the way, it's what the world has been prepared for. Exactly. You know, Gene Roddenberry wasn't kidding. He knew the impact that could be made if you got the right people together and put the right kind of program together, they'll be acclimated to what is. So, my gosh, think, I mean, there's made movies now on just what the impact has put on our society by, you know, that program, um, Star Trek. And it's huge. I mean, the ripple effect even. I mean, it's just, 
it's bigger than life itself. It's just so wild. You know, I saw a movie the other night and it had absolutely nothing. It was a comedy. I needed something just to, you know, some to put my brain in neutral and just enjoy a funny movie or something. And it was, it was a movie, an independent movie. It was hilarious as heck. It was a movie where there was a, like a 24 hour period of darkness, the whole world blacked out. And when it came back, when everything came back on, certain things had changed almost like a reality changed a Mandela effect kind of a thing. No one remembered the Beatles oh, except okay. three people on the whole earth. Uh-huh. And one of them was this failed musician who was trying to come up with, you know, his own songs and he was singing to, you know, some animals and children and, and a few people, but nobody was really paying attention to him. But he found out nobody knew who the Beatles were. So he started playing Beatles songs. And people just, they thought this was amazing. This is a bad, we never heard any such good music before. Through this whole thing, he's feeling guilty. But on one hand, he's, you know, he, he loved the Beatles. I mean, let's face it, who didn't? You know, if you grew up in the 60s, the Beatles really, and this movie made me realize, my gosh, that generation and some of their songs were so anti-Christ, but just the songs all throughout three decades of, well, not even of three full decades. They went from, um, what, from 1964? 64, 64, yeah. Yeah, 63, 64 to about 71. The long and winding road. I, my gosh, I even remember. I was in El Paso, Texas. I was at a movie theater and I watched The Long and Winding Road. And this was their last. I broke up crying. Mm-hmm. <laughs> what was music going to be like with no more Beatles? Right. They defined the 60s and they did. And I mean, I, you know, and they weren't even my, one of my favorite groups. I, they, I liked them. But in this movie, I realized that, you know, every aspect of our life was addressed by the Beatles in some way or our form in the sixties. And it just, it, it defined almost the entire culture of the sixties. You don't realize until it was gone. Like in this movie, you don't realize until it's gone. Well, um, it's just, it's subtle how the enemy can condition us to a reality, whether we accept it or not. I, I never really, you know, I especially didn't like some of the uh, Imagine. Once I became a Christian, I listened to Imagine. Oh, my gosh. It was it was upsetting because I used to sing that song. And I mean, and as I'm watching the movie, I knew all the words to all the Beatles songs. I didn't know that I knew. you just you just do because you grew up with them, you know. Right. And. Uh, but I knew all. The, so I guess what I'm amazed at is how we are just acclimated into things being normal when they're not normal. Right. But we just get acclimated to them because it's just, it's everywhere all the time. Well, how many so Christians I, sang my sweet Lord thinking it was singing, they were singing oh, about Jesus. And then you figured, I know. figured out that there was, it was a love song to Krishna. <laughs> well, when they're going Rama, Rama, Krishna, Krishna, that would be a little bit of a clue, but I guess, you know, again, a lot of times you're a kid, you're just, Hey, it's a great tune. I like singing it, but you're not really really Duh. Oh, wow. Yeah, they don't know what they're they're actually singing. They don't really realize what the heck you're you're actually saying. Yeah, it, it's yeah. all in the uh, 
I'm sorry, I'm not a music connoisseur, but it's is it all in the melody or? I think uh, a lot of it is, yeah, a lot of it is in the beat. You know, like in Agata de Vida, it just had such a cool beat. You don't even listen to the words really too yep. much. Just you know, you listen to the the cool beat. It's, hip, that music it's hypnotic. You know. Yeah. Well, a syncopated is what they call it. Right. Yeah. music. <laughs> but uh, you know. They, they they interviewed the Rolling Stones and, and and Mick Jagger often said that you know he didn't know where the music came from all of a sudden he would just sit down and start writing and it would be there yeah and then you realize you know that Lucifer was at one time the uh, the music minister basically in heaven and you can understand what he he knows what's appealing to the human he had being. a good grasp yep yep. Yeah. And, uh, so one time I remember one time he was, where the heck was he on? He was on a talk show. I think it might've been Johnny Carson or yeah, I think it was Johnny Carson. And he, Johnny Carson flat asked him, uh, do you get your inspiration from the devil and do you worship Satan? And all Mick Jagger did was laugh and change the subject. Yep. You know, it's like, okay, there's been, well, a, num- there's been, a, num- what, there's been a number of, um, uh, yeah of uh, musicians that have subtly admitted to where they're getting uh, their inspiration from, or they've, that they've made a, basically a deal with the devil. Right. You know, everybody laughs and, you know, they have a good yuck and joke about it, but you'd, you'd be surprised at how many uh, musicians have actually admitted that on, you know, on video and everybody doesn't, no one catches it, you know. Right, Eric. You know about the twenty-seven-year-old uh, club, don't you? Well, that's basically isn't that where a lot of uh, a lot of the musicians musicians themselves die at that age. Twenty-seven years old. Now, yep. here's several interesting things. All of them, all of them, not just some, all of them. There's, let's see, look, let's name some of the more recent ones. Kurt Cobain. Yep. Um, Jim Morrison. Yep. Um. Let's see. Where's some of the other ones? Um, Jimi Hendrix, Janis Joplin. They were all 27? They were all 27 when they died. They all claimed at one time or another that they had made a pact with the devil. They would be a super rock star. But none of them lived past 27. Do you know what else they all had in common? Oh, this is a freaky good one. What? RH negative blood. Oh, that's Mm. interesting. Yeah. What What is the significance of that, Jim? God, you know, I, you tell me, Eric, my, your guess is as good as mine. But, I mean, when you see consistent patterns, our RH negative blood is what the so-called aliens, fallen angels, it's what the Nazis were working on, it's what the, the blue bloods call their elite bloodline. It means that there's no genetic connection to the rhesus monkey with RH negative blood. That's why it's RH negative. Um, you'll so in most of the Aryan purity race things, they'll call other people monkey men or mud people. That's because they refer to uh, everybody that's not RH negative as being, you know, related to the rhesus monkey, a genetic connection anyway. Right. Would you say that's linked to the pure strain? Yes. Uh, that's yeah. It would be. It would be what we would understand or identify as um, a. a more than Nephilim blood or the hybrid bloodline, right? Right. Of Genesis six. So you know another interesting thing about that. I don't know if you guys knew this, that but if a mother, I got to see if I get this right. 
if a mother is Rh negative and her baby is Rh positive, that the first baby will come out just fine. Uh, why that is, I have no idea. But if she has other children, other babies, carries other children that are Rh positive, she actually actually get, a lot of times in the past, the children would die. Uh, but they, they came up with some factor that they uh, they inject the, the mother with several times during her pregnancy. and She's able to carry the child, and the child's able to be born. So that's how much the Rh negative factors into to negativity <laughs> when, when pregnancy when pregnancy is well, you concerned. Know, I want to be careful because, you know, I've had people call me up, and, and I know you have too, um, um, Dave, that... You know, they'll have Rh negative blood. Oh, my gosh, can I be saved? I'm worried about my children. Can they be saved? You know, we have six fingers and toes, you know, uh, in our family, too. I mean, is that does that mean we're Nephilim? Does that mean we can't be saved? No, it doesn't. Not anything to do with that. That's that's God's job. But the fact is that if you're worried and concerned about your relationship with God, I got good news for you. If you were truly a hybrid, you wouldn't care about relationships with God. You wouldn't care. You would just automatically despise and hate God, his word, his people, um, everything. So good news. You're concerned. This concerns you, right? And she broke out crying. And I said, well, that's good news then. Enmity means my seed and a seed uh, and your seed. So enmity means a natural hatred. So if you were already tipped the scale and were more um, non-human than human, you wouldn't care. But you do care. So that's good news. I mean, well, on the, on the same light, you know, if you have blonde hair and blue eyes or red hair and blue eyes, you know, that that could be thought of the same things. But it, since, yeah. you know what I mean? But it, it that doesn't matter anymore, you know. It's just because we have um, some of the same uh, visual characteristics uh, of them, it doesn't necessarily mean that, um, that that's going to be an issue, you know what I mean? Just because right. of God's overall hybridization process plan with the Jew- Jewish people and intermixing them in with the, all the Gentile groups that exist on the planet. So, Well, you know, it gets back to um, a doctrine that is easy for Calvinists to grasp, and it's hard for the Arminians to grasp, and that's a two-seed line. But hey, I didn't make it up. That's what the Bible says. There's two yeah. seeds. Seed of the woman, seed of the serpent. Well, you can't get around it. And, and I, yeah. always, I always found it interesting. They always called Eve uh, the mother of all living. Yeah. You know, all living, not some, not all living. And when when Jesus gave the uh, parable of the wheat and tares, an enemy had sowed tares amongst the wheat. Let them grow together until they uh, come to to harvest and then separate them. Otherwise, you might get them confused. Why? Because there's no visual way of knowing who is and who isn't. That means that eliminates what race, ethnicity. Because it's condition of heart. And only yep. God knows that. So yep. it's, You don't it's, even have to worry about them, you know, trying to pick them out anymore. They're pretty well announcing to everybody who they are. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, right. it's the harvest, too, isn't it? That's yeah. why there's a clear separation. We're at the end of the time. So um, we're getting more and more to a point where there's only going to be black and white. Uh, and I'll, i got to watch what I say there. <laughs> black and white as far as wheat and tares, sheep and goats. There's not going right. to be an independent a gray shaded area anymore. Yeah. There's right. going to be, you're in one camp or the other camp. There's not going to yeah. be anything in the middle to hide in or to, you know, uh, compromise yourself in. You're going to be clear, clearly plainly in one or the other camp. No, nothing in between. This all is part of the reset. 
So I think for Calvinists, it's easy to grasp the idea of two seeds. It's a little harder for um, Arminians, but they're coming around. They're coming around because they see once you understand Genesis 6, once you understand that there's a hybridization of the human race, you begin to see that, you know, some things cannot be explained any other way right. than two literal seeds. I, and one thing I've always challenged the Arminians, show me where one is spiritual and one is physical. Either it's, you, you show me one scripture that shows that. Right. It doesn't exist. I've been in ministry for 43 years. I haven't seen it yet. Nobody's been able to point it out to me. Will you show me which one just specifically says that? Oh, they'll you know share some stupid ones that just totally do not fit in context because they're pulling it out of context. But there's two literal seeds. Jesus was very specific about that. So, so once you understand the Genesis 6 hybridization of the human race, it makes sense even to a um, Arminius. Um, there's only that's the only way you can answer that. So, you know, in the shirts, it says, uh, kill them all, let God sort them out. So for a Christian, it's the opposite way. Pray for them all, let God sort them out. It's his right. business. Knows who is yep. and who is. We have to just trust and believe the Lord that we be forbearing to our enemy, love them and pray for them and hope that they have a chance at salvation. I hate to say it, but what it really comes down to is carbon-based versus silicone-based. Right. It really is. And yeah. what, again, what is some of the controversial themes of some of the sci-fi movies and the Star Trek thing? It's <laughs> carbon-based. And, there's, yeah. There's, yeah. Um, and the plea for the humanity and the sense of decency, give respect to the silicone-based because they're just, uh, whether they be a hologram or or whatever, they're still entitled to um, the same rights and privileges, which under any other logical condition would only be fair and just and make sense. But when the Bible gives you specific things in the last days, these different events are going to happen, and they're going to come this way and this way, don't believe it. It's a lie. Yeah, you're getting it. There's a politics thing here, you know? Yeah. Yeah. and that's it. It's exopolitics. And it's being presented not just in Star Trek. It's presented in all kinds of movies. I just got through watching a series called Glitch. Um, and I really enjoyed them the first two years they came out. And the third one, that's when the whole lesbian gay agenda had had to put a gay and a lesbian in everything and anything that you watch anymore. Right. And, they, and so they trashed the whole you know thing. But it came to a conclusion where you had to be willing to sacrifice your own life because you created an imbalance in the universe. So you had to be willing to be the balance. The, see, these dead people were coming back to life, and it was part of a genetics experiment that went haywire. So you had all these uh, residual people that were not intended to be brought back that were brought back, some of them from the 1700s and just, you know, in this one small community. So because they're back and they shouldn't have been, it caused an imbalance in the universe. So now all these apocalyptic catastrophes are happening, and it's all their fault because they've got the universe out of balance. So the only way that anything could be done was that they had to be willing to sacrifice themselves by running into a fire or just letting the elements, you know, consume them. Um, So they kind of like turned into dust. But they had to be willing to sacrifice themselves so that the universe could be readjusted. Man, that's just suicidal idiocy. <laughs> but they're, you know, they're conditioning everybody to make this great sacrifice for the universe. I'm sorry, but the universe don't run my life. I tell the universe, I get to tell the universe what it can or can't do. 
I don't go to the middleman. And that's all the universe is, the middleman. We're hearing more and more. All the universe told me this. The universe told me that. How many, you know, all the New Agers, you know, they're they're being run by the universe. Right. Sad. You know, I. how about, why don't you just go to the processor? They're the, the processor is the one that programmed the universe. Uh-huh. I mean, that's oh, right. So why cut out the middleman? Just go to the main man. That's what Jesus tried to explain in his Bible when he said to Amos, the prophet Amos, why do you seek the stars? And not the creator of the stars. Yeah, there's a truth in movements and signs and, and everything to determine signs and times and seasons. And it probably does go right down to the individual. But you know what? God says, I'm the mediator between man and God, the man Christ Jesus, not the stars. But looking at that, I turn some things off for your own safety. You don't need to know too much because you're going to mess it all up because there was a fall. And because of the fall, you're only using ten, one tenth of your noodle. I had to cut that off so you wouldn't kill each other. Uh-huh. And again, no kidding. Say, they'll say, well, um, what do you mean? There's no original. There's no such thing as original sin. Well, really? OK, well, we're in this room of about 300 people. What if we could suddenly all read each other's minds? Uh, look at that guy over there checking out. Look at look at right now. Look, see him checking out that other girl's hiney. He's <laughs> right. I said, OK, now, how long do you think it would take until everybody would be breaking out in a fight if we could all read each other's minds? Yeah, was, the chaos. Oh, look, man, in the, like the deer in the middle of the road. I said, that's sin nature. We're all naturally inclined to fall short. Our thoughts are not pure. They're wrong. Mm-hmm. And we, have, we are ashamed of them because we're not thinking right. That's right. what it means when it says everyone has sinned. We've all fallen short. Mm-hmm. doesn't mean you're some vile, horrible creature. It means that you have a, a failed, frail potential. Right. And there's only one way out of that, and that's through Christ. Not You can't do this on your own. Then I asked him, can you control every thought in your mind? To be totally perfect? I said, and if you think you can, you're a doggone liar. You're just so naive. You're just, you know, not even living in a real world. Well, of course, well, he isn't, so. Yeah, right. <laughs> Which is that as an argument, can't we? <laughs> <laughs> but, I mean, you know, sin is blinding, and the devil has no logic to work with. He can dazzle you with with fabricated logic but it's not pure logic sin is always blinding so even to the point where he doesn't will always come to the wrong conclusions because he is blinded by sin himself his separation from fellowship with god has caused him to be crazy right and so has everybody else that's followed their own way because there is no your own way it leads to madness Mm -hmm. and it leads to unsound decisions you're never going to come to a logical conclusion sin is blinding that's why Look at the way the Democrats are acting now. They're acting like rabid dogs. They, That's insane. They're making they decisions that nobody in their right mind would make. Yeah, and they just get worse and worse as time well, progresses on. And I, I can see where where, uh, where Trump is not too concerned about all of this fabricated, you know, this whistleblower and that whistleblower. Well, we can't let the, the person be known because they're afraid of their life. So they change laws so that they don't have to bring out this person's testimony. You can change the laws all you want, but the original laws were there so that every citizen could be confronted with his accuser. That is a guarantee that every American citizen has. Now you're going to readjust the laws so that the president of the United States doesn't even have the right that every citizen has in this country? Are you nuts? Yeah, Yeah, you are nuts. So he's going, okay, go ahead, pass all of that, but you know what? It doesn't mean crap. Because the bottom line in the Constitution is you still have a right to face your accuser, Sixth and you're going to say that yeah. that person on say-so alone 
is going to be the grounds for a testimony against me? Yeah. I uh, think again, that ain't going to ever happen. Yeah, never I a new name before. for this whole process. I call it schizophrenia. What's well, about what it is? Yeah, Dave, yeah. I like that. Schizophrenia, yeah, because that guy's you know, a you're, liar. You're, uh, you're, you're, you're actually presenting a testimony of unseen others to to try to prove a fact, and that's exactly what happens a lot of times well, in the case I'm, of schizophrenia. You you respond to internal stimuli that isn't real. <laughs> yeah, with unvetted with unvetted testimony from an unknown witness that isn't going to come forward to. Um, bear witness or have proper scrutiny done on them mm-hmm. and what we're going to accept that mm-hmm. you know it's like they're they're pushing for war i mean and i'm not even you know i'm not advocating war i'm not with any organization to uh head in that direction but i know history and we're on the eve of a civil war another civil war and it's it's ridiculous yeah it and they're is. pushing for it because hey then they can you know they can blame um they can blame trump for a failed economy for um, a civil war. I mean, they'll blame them for anything, anyone, even though they're the ones that are bringing it on. That's right. That's right. It's, uh, it just, it's insane. Uh, you know, I, I heard uh, several years ago, since we're on the subject, civil war, um, back, uh, back when Obama was the illegal president of the United States, um, there were, there were plans, you know, there was talk about civil war back then too. Uh, not not like there is now, but um, and one of the one of the uh, speculations was that he was getting all of our troops out of this country so that if anything ever happened, they wouldn't be here. And I heard something, you know, back then it must have been about 2009, 2010, where the Russians had actually come out and said that if anything were to break out in the United States that they would personally pick up our soldiers and bring them back here. And mm-hmm. I, thought, I always thought that that was kind of a very far-fetched thing until I talked with Ralph Epperson and found out that the Russians actually helped us out during the Civil War, our first Civil War. You know, the, how they came over and they blockaded the ports so that the French and the English couldn't come over and, and usurp uh, Union authority over the war. Right. And, yeah. uh, you know, now that the Russians are, uh, you know, not communists anymore, and I sometimes I think that Putin's more of an American than uh, some of these people in Congress. Um, but, uh, you know, I, I don't see that as being a far-fetched uh, plan anymore. Um, you know, that, that it possibly could happen because you know darn well that the first thing that the, the, the Democrats are going to call for when this happens is because is the, uh, uh, for the UN to step in, yep. you know, and uh, you know that's going to be fought tooth and nail by American patriots. I, I know that. Well, the but. UN that's actually going broke. Did you know that? Yeah, yeah, because we're not paying. <laughs> Glorious. Anymore. Glorious. Uh, I, what's funny? What I, I think what we're seeing, we're going to see a pendulum go to one extreme, to the other, to the other, to the other. There's not going to be no balance right away. It's just going to go from one extreme to the other. So. For I think for like maybe two months, there may be United Nations intervention in the United States. If we were to break out in a, let's say, an Ezekiel 38 war, collapse of the U.S. dollar, um, rioting in all the cities, like Wilkerson said, for about two months' time, then what's going to happen? The United Nations will come in as a peacekeeping organization, and uh, they're 
their pretense, their excuse is going to be, look, you're, we're sitting, your people have the largest arsenal, nuclear arsenal in the world. Your nation is now unstable. We have to come in and intervene to make sure that um, um, no radicals get these, you know, the nuclear weapons. So we have to make this intervention to keep the rest of the world safe from possible renegade um, people with nuclear uh, nuclear weapons. So for two months, they'll be there. And I think that'll set the precedence and the catalyst so that um, then Trump is going to say after two months, OK, we got everything back under control, so you can leave now. As a matter of fact, you can you can leave completely. Get off of our shores. We're not funding you anymore. We're not having anything to do with the United Nations. We're not only unfunding you, we want you off of our shoreline. You go back to the plains of Shinar, wherever the heck you uh, came from originally, start over there. Say, and Jim, I got, a, I got a question on that. Yeah. Do you think the, you know maybe the two-month um, bank holiday is part of the mechanism to dismantle the Federal Reserve? Yes, I think order, so, too. In yeah. order to bring it back into correction? Yeah, yeah. Okay. It'll, it'll, be, it, it'll be the reset. This will be done because I think what other people don't realize, I don't even think even Mark Taylor has seen this part. He knows there's going to be a reset. He knows there's going to be a divine intervention. What he may not see or may not fully understand yet is that this reset is going to be the rapture, New Age rapture. Yep. Boom, boom, like that. All of a sudden, man... Everything changes. All of a sudden, Christians are sitting with multiple resources left behind the rich elite. Because most of them are New Agers. Most of them are, um, uh, when I say New Agers, I should say it. They're, most of them are believers of Helena Blavatsky's secret doctrine. They're going to be gone. They're theosophists. Um, they're going to be gone, and all their resources are going to be left behind for us. And this is why I say we need to turn our face. Now, that means we're going to have tons of real estate, prime best real estate. See, the, none of these elite were counting on that part. They knew that they're going to maybe be beamed up and, you know, saved. They're never coming back. They're gone. Never to come back. So well, there'll, there'll be some kind of fecal matter and some aliens. Uh, well, yeah, that kind of, sure. yeah, probably. Yeah. <laughs> um, Sorry for being so uh, graphic, by the way. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I tell you, most of them, uh, whoever's left behind this, the um, the rest of them are going to make a massive attack on the sides of the mountains of Israel, and they're going to end up being bird food for the fowls of the earth. Is what Ezekiel thirty-eight says. That's that's their destiny. They're going to be bird food. Except, well, there's three groups. One's national socialism. The other is. Islam and the other is uh, communist socialism. Communist socialism and Islam are going to be the bird food on the sides of the mountains. National socialists, we're not done with them. They're the, the ones that are still in charge. And there's the second wave of their program will happen. Um, that's the three frogs of Revelations 16 so um, and 19. So Two of them are wiped out and one is left, and that's the National Socialists, and they're the ones that claim to have supernatural empowerment from supernatural aliens or non-humans. Um, they're the last frog standing, so they're going to be the one that we're still dealing with. But um, my claim is that, that um, in the reset, 
all of a sudden we're going to have all these vast amounts of land, uh, property, uh, resources, money. Um, all this stuff's going to be available for us. We're the ones left behind. Satan is able to make evil good and good evil so that Trump will look like the Antichrist. We'll look like the ones that took the mark of the beast. We're the, the hybrid Nephilim that are, that are performing miracle signs and wonders, deceiving the whole world. So, I mean, it's, it's going to be one event, and one group is going to see it as evil. One group is going to see it as actual prophecy being uh, fulfilled in a way that was a little bit unexpected. So who's going to see what? I could see that as causing a great falling away, too. Yeah, it will, Definitely. Absolutely. It's because separation of the wheat and the, the tares. Those that are truly led of the Spirit are going to see how God is fulfilling Scripture quite different from what it was supposed to be. Right now, Christians are divided. They look at Trump. Half of Christians are saying Trump is the Antichrist. Half of them are saying, you know, he's called a God. So, okay, we have the same Spirit. Which one is it? Well, this is what the reset's all about. Put us all on the same page. And let's face it, you know, a lot of, a lot of, People that say they're Christians and can speak perfect Christianese doesn't mean that they are. Right, right. It means that they could be blind, dud, stupid, and still remain that way because they're going to believe man-made doctrine over the moving of God's Holy Spirit. Or they'll be in self-denial even if they're seeing it before their very eyes because they just want to carry on as business as usual. Yep. Which is, to me, the truly most shocking thing to, to have to witness something like that. Because at that point, I'm like, well... What what is the justification for uh, existence of a of a church, or if you you don't even recognize the very uh, prophetic events that are coming upon you? You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah I it's, do. it's just insane. But that, I I can I can see that scenario compl- playing out. There's going to be people that just aren't going to like this because it's going to rattle rattle the cage. You know what, peacemakers? We had something happen. Last week, man, it broke my heart. I just, I can't, you know, I, I just can't believe how cold-hearted some people can be. We have a guy. Now, this is some personal stuff that nobody even knows. I don't think hardly anybody knows what's going on in this man's life. He's a volunteer. He's part of. The, he's in the program uh, at the Jesus House, so he's recovering himself from addictions. Um, he's getting his life back together. He's been suffering from cancer it's in remission but it's not he's not fully recovered he is a contractor i mean this guy is man what a carpenter this guy's a super carpenter he's done a lot of work for um in the program voluntary program he had all his tools up in the fourth floor at uh, at peacemakers somebody came in there stole all of his equipment Oh, man. His livelihood. He's got no insurance for that. He lost everything. He's, he's, I'm not saying he's dying of cancer, but, man, he's having a tough go. Right. And now the little bit that he does have was taken away. Now, Peacemakers has stepped up big time. And I know um, they're going to reimburse him for every tool that he has. And he's going to check like next week. Now he had to really pull some strings. He's got a board that he's got to be held accountable for. He can't just go and grab that large amount of money, right. but it's, it's guaranteed. And you know, peacemakers is going to pay him. What breaks my heart is when they stole, one of the things they stole was his uh, chop saw 
they turned it sideways. And so all of the dust that was collected in the bottom left a trail from the fourth floor into the elevator, out the back door, and then gone. That means there was a vehicle in the back that all that stuff was put into a vehicle. Right. In a way. You know what that means? That's an inside job. Yeah. Yep. You got a a traitor traitor amongst you. And the thing is, my God. Now, it has to be somebody that's addicted and struggling. I mean, because when you're on crack, man, you, you turn your own mother in. You know, right. for crack. I mean, just what it does to you. Or it's somebody that's playing games. What we're going to advise is that uh, he put in these little mini cameras. Don't even let anybody. I, we're going to kid. We were kidding around. Don't even let your wife know where, where they are. Put them hidden and catch the thief. Because although you're stepping up and you're fulfilling, the thing is, we have an enemy in our camp that has no regard for God. I mean, what is this person thinking? They're a Christian or claim to be a Christian. And so I don't know how their twisted mind can justify, well, you know, they spend so much money and they got all this stuff. Well, they don't really need it. And I can do something good for somebody else over here and I need it. You know, whatever their craziness is, you're still held accountable to God. You think God's just winking at that? No. You're stealing from the church. You're stealing from people that don't have, you know, this entitlement mentality, it's insane. So you're going to say, okay, I don't trust the leadership in this ministry that they're doing the right thing with the money so I can take a little bit here and there and and do good things. You're going to do bad to do good? It doesn't work that way. Uh-uh. Ask Hezekiah. Ask, um, ask King David. It was already predestined in his birth line that Sheba was going to be his. Yeah. It's already predetermined. So you didn't have to have you didn't have to have Uriah set up and killed and be a murderer. You could have just been patient, wait, bide your time, and things would have happened in its own course without you doing anything. Yeah. But because you did that, stupid, now your firstborn's gonna die. Mm-hmm. So I mean, you know, it's just what are people thinking? How I mean, they aren't Yeah. The only the only important words that anybody is going to think about you is what God thinks about you. How can he think anything good if you're willing to do bad because you think you're doing good? That is so sick and twisted. I don't get it. So when I see just a little event here, you know, that happened at, at Shane, I mean, Steve was the first one. He, you know, stepped up and was going to do the right thing, you know, and he's that way. He's, you know, he's a. Uh, Mother hen with his going to protect his, you know, kids. Um, but still, you got an enemy in the camp. We got to find out who that is. Yeah. They got to weed it out, man. Because, you know, when, I mean, when times really get bad, they're going to be the ones that are going to be the informants. They're going to cause other people to get killed. That's right. That's exactly yep. right. Better know who they are now than, than later when, yeah. it, when a body count is maybe available. Mm-hmm. The good thing but, is that those people usually give themselves away. They're found out usually sooner than later. Yeah. And uh, you know something something really dumb will happen, and somebody will see it and put two and two together. You know, 
Uh, you'll see him with the chop saw in the back of his truck or something. Hey, that looks like so-and-so's. I think I'm going to drop a dime to the police, you know. Uh, so, it, you know, everything works out. Um, and it's good that they're going to, you know, replace all the stuff. It's, it's, it's That is really nice. It's a blessing. But um, I found out from, uh, <laughs> you know, people that do stuff like that are usually pretty stupid. They think they're smart, but they're, they're usually pretty stupid. And uh, I've had uh, instances in my life, you know, and in, in my work experiences and where people have tried to set me up, you know. And, and <laughs> you know, they're, they're, they're so unobvious about it that they're obvious. And uh, they end up... Kind of like Nancy Pelosi, right? Yeah, you got it. Yeah. Right. <laughs> so, oh, yeah. No, there's a there's a brain-dead individual, but um, yeah, and, and that's actually, that's a very good way to describe it, because you're the, the way the Democrats are doing it, every time that they they accuse Trump of something, they are somehow found up, out to have done the same thing, but worse. Yeah. Uh, you know, the Biden, uh, the whole uh, Ukraine thing. You know, oh yeah, he's, he's con- you know, consorting with the Cranes, or the Ukrainians, you know, and then you find out that about Biden's son that did the you know things ten times worse, and then there's well, other sorts of other legislatures that have. Well, that have the thing is, there's there's a consistent pattern of them projecting what they're doing, yeah, onto exactly. the innocent. Uh huh. It's weird. It's like well, there's real evidence against them where there's nothing against Trump. So I mean, it's like right. you know that's why he's not worried about it. It's like you but, know, they're hanging themselves with their own rope. Yeah, but exactly. yeah, and doing that, they're exposing themselves. Yeah, yeah, right. Exactly. Yep. yep. That's why I he's totally not agree. worried about it. <laughs> and that's why, you know, to me, we can, you know, this doesn't have to upset us that much. I, you know, I say, you know, grab some popcorn and watch the crazy news. It's, it's right now. It's just crazy town. But I, I can watch it peacefully, knowing that they're not getting away with anything. God has a plan, and He's not going to let this happen. It's going to—they're going to be held accountable for what they're doing, the lies, the hypocrisies, and everything. And the difference is that there is no evidence against Trump, and there's real evidence against all of them. That what they're accusing others of doing, they themselves have done, uh, with real evidence to back and support it. And the fact that the trail of changing laws that are so ludicrous, so ridiculous that it can't even constitutionally be held up uh, in a court of law, and they won't be. Right. And fact, it'll come on, uh, you know, come back on them like a boomerang. So, mm-hmm. you know, it's just uh, grab a box of popcorn and watch the crazy news. Yeah. Relax and enjoy the crazies while you can. <laughs> yep. That's a show. Uh, that's no, for sure. We don't have to be worried, man. God's in control and he's got a plan. Yeah. And his plan's pretty cool. And what did he always say? He said, he said, you know, don't do anything. Let me do the fighting. Yeah, yeah. You know? Stand and, back. Uh, I was talking to a young man the other day, and he says, he says, the worst thing I ever did was think that I could take it into my own hands and do it. And because I did that, I, my life got all messed up. He says, yeah. I've learned not to get in God's way. <laughs> you know, let him do but, the fighting, but, in other words. Yeah, vengeance belongs to God, so let him take care of it. Don't exactly. take care of it. Exactly. So. And he's so much better at it than we are. Yeah, he does everything just. Yeah. Well, you know, the best track of getting our prayers answered from the Lord is to 
to learn the practice of one thing that's so hard for us, yet he's made it so easy. And that is just, just get ourselves out of the way and let God do through us what we're not capable of doing ourselves. Uh-huh. If we can only get to that place to realize, I can't figure this out myself. I do not have to figure it out for myself. I need to get out of the way to let you do through me what I can't do in the first place. So why am I stressed out and worried about it? Why am I angry and frustrated about it? How about if I just let go and let you do what you need to do? Yeah. And show me how my plan fits into your plan or how it doesn't fit in so that I can get rid of the grief, the anger, the strife, the worry, and relax and have a peace that passes all understanding. That's a good trade, I think. Yeah, I think so, too. It's like, so in a, in a way, you have to be over your emotions, but it's one of those things where you have to get past it. It's It doesn't mean you don't have the emotions. You have them, but you have to have them not control you. You have to control them. So in that way, you're kind of like uh, Spock, you know, in, in uh, or Tupal or uh, any of the other Vulcans, in, you know, just use logic, not emotions. Right. You're going to have the emotions, but don't let the emotions rule you. Take you rule the emotions. I watch, you know, you watch TV and you, the, the popular phrase now is, I've got to go with my heart. And I'm like, no, you idiot. <laughs> no. Don't go with your oh. heart. Your heart is one of the most corrupt things in, the, in your body. You know, it's deceitfully wicked, is it not? Astray. Huh? That's what the scripture, the heart is right. deceitfully wicked. Who can know it? Yeah. Right. Yeah. So it seems right unto a man, but the ends thereof are the ways of death. Yeah. Um, I come to bring you life and life more abundantly. Not the way we see it, but the way he sees it. So, yeah, you know, it's, yeah. Mm-hmm. In my flesh dwells no good thing. I When I get to that, when we can get to that point and really get it through our thick heads, I can't figure it out. I don't need to figure it out. Right. I don't have to figure it out. Mm-hmm. That's your job, Lord. Just, you know, I'm this little dumb sheep down here. Just kind of point me in the right direction. Make me understand how I'm supposed to fit into your plan. Don't right. let me interfere and mess it up. Right. Let me you know, be patient and wait on you and be confident that you know what you're doing. You can run heaven and earth better than I can. Okay. Mm-hmm. I think we can agree on that one. Exactly. We should be able to anyway. That's where logic takes over the emotion. The emotion. I mean, I'm a reactionary. I want to, you know, and maybe that's part of the biker in me too. I want to take care of things first, then let's talk about it later. Right. <laughs> It's unfortunately, <laughs> then you got to suffer the results of whatever you did to take care of it. <laughs> you made a big mess. <laughs> That's true. I don't know. You weren't here last week. I think I might have shared this story if I did, and uh, I'm being repetitive. I apologize, but uh, I've always been a, um, it, or it seems like God is, or the Lord has pulled me out of, of. Uh, of bad things or, or answered prayer with, you know, funds that we might need it right at a, a, you know, if you're using the 24 hour clock, right at 23 hours, 59 minutes and 42 seconds, you know? And, um, so when I ask for things, I don't expect to get them right away. And that's just the way it is. Uh-huh. Uh, cause that's what just seems to be the way that he likes to work and maybe building my faith up more. I don't know uh, why he does things. I, it's his, his business, and I don't really concern myself with it anymore. But um, anyway, uh, last it was last weekend I walked into work, and you know our our, our jobs are very computer central, 
And if a computer goes down, it just throws down everything, you know. And if the whole system goes down, well, you know, there's hundreds of workers and several hundred uh, clients that are that are affected, you know. Really. Yeah, I know about that. So anyway, <laughs> what I did is um, I, I got to work, and it was this way, you know. And I'm like, this is this is not acceptable, you know. I'm not going to write things down on paper and then enter them in later. And so I said, well, here we go, Lord. I said, you know, we're either going to go down together or you're going to work a miracle and you're you're going to get the glory. And uh, so I said, you know, out loud, I said, Lord, I just pray in the name of Yeshua that you would just touch these computers, that you would make them work. I said, Lord, please understand that if these computers don't work today, every many, many people are going to be in a bad way, both patients and us. And. It's going to make, make our lives very difficult. And to tell you the truth, it's Sunday, which is really my Friday, and I <laughs> don't need this right now. <laughs> and I said, so in your name, please just bring the computer system back up. Uh, Father in Yeshua's name, amen. Um, so all of a sudden, the little Ouroboros that was turning stopped turning, and a computer program came on. A little choppy, you know, for about the first one or two minutes. And then all of a sudden, it just worked the rest of the day. Well, what happened was, you know, you, you think that, okay, well, that's the end of the story, you know, praise the Lord and hallelujah. Well, one of my coworkers came in and he said, I want to thank you. Now, this is a guy that I don't get along with very well. Um, if I had a choice, I would choose not to work with him, but we're stuck together. So we just try to make the best out of it, or I do anyway. And um, so he says, I want to just thank you for the laying on of hands on the computers. And I'm thinking to myself, wait a minute, that's not the way a normal person would say it. You know, this guy has had some kind of biblical training. He's maybe went yeah. to church when he was younger. He's heard some, some stories in the Bible because that is definitely a biblical phrase. You know, so now I've, I've got this new little mission, you know, to, to talk to him and find out, you know, where did you get that phrase from? I'm just curious. I I didn't have time to do it this week, um, but I am planning on asking him, and I might find out that, uh, and this is, wouldn't this be how the Lord works, I might find out that this guy is a, a backslidden believer, you know, who walked away many years ago, and but has all the training, maybe, has, maybe came to faith when he was younger, right. you know, and maybe I'm going to be spending eternity with this guy in heaven, <laughs> you know, so... Better start getting along here on Earth before that time comes. But the reason I just brought that story up is that, you know, we we need to to step out sometimes, too. You know, we could, we could sit there and say, okay, I could have said, okay, Lord, you know, the computer's in your hands. You know, do what you were going to do. You know, and I could have said it quietly. But, you know, for some reason, I just felt compelled to, to talk out loud, to pray out loud. Somebody heard it and responded to it. And, of course, the computer did it. It got fixed, and uh, but this might might um, lead to a whole dimension in in our workplace dynamics, you know. So it's uh, sometimes yes, we do have to step out. We do have to to do things. And I, the way I looked at it is, Lord, if you if you answer the prayer and after I prayed it out loud, then you're going to get all the glory and hallelujah, you know. And if you don't, well, we, we go down together. <laughs> You know, and uh, and sure enough, you know, he honored that and uh, and things got taken care of. But um, so, 
Yes, we do have to wait on him, and he does do the battling for us. And that basically, when you look at the situation, that's what he did. Because he touched something in that computer system, something that was bugged, you know, and, and fixed that bug and brought it back up. So, you know, he, he did, but it was, it was an immediate uh, answer to, to a prayer that I thought might not even happen, but hoped that would, you know. And, and I guess that's what faith is. Uh, believe in things unseen and evidence of things hoped for, you know. And uh, so, you know, if, if you're out there and you're, you're thinking about, uh, you know, well, you know, God doesn't answer prayers. And, you know, if I've been fighting all these battles and they're not winning, well, yeah, maybe maybe it's because you've been fighting them. But maybe you haven't been asking effectively for the Lord to fight for you, which is what I did. You know, you fixed the computer. I can't do anything about it. You fix it. So, uh, and I think that, you know, if, if you read many, many of the um, stories in, in the Old Testament, where God said to do something and either one person or the whole nation didn't do it, uh, there were consequences. But when they listened, they were victorious. So, yeah. yeah just, uh, and there's you know, different standards, too. Like you were telling me about, you know, the guy, you know, laying hands on something. That's not even Christianese or biblical-ish. This guy has had a connection, definitely a connection. Right. That's going beyond just Christianese. This is something... You know, you don't talk that way unless you've had personal experience with that kind of a situation. You know, um, I don't know if you remember who Michael Shermer is. Boy, does that sound familiar. He's the the um, editor and um, distributor of um, Skeptical Inquirer. Huh, okay. Goes out of his way to make Christians look like stupid fools. He is a pompous, arrogant um just mean-spirited right um and just really an intellectual idiot he you know he's no dummy by no means but he loves to make christians look ridiculously stupid and so he'll go to great lengths even to make himself look stupid in the process of trying to make the christian look stupid (laughs) i listened to an interview and this guy was needling him in a sense of well how come you're this way when you used to, you have a doctorate in theology, don't you? You were one of these born again Christians at one time. Man, it broke my heart. He couldn't answer some of the questions that this guy was asking. And you could see the hurt in his eyes. Quite wow. frankly, I, I broke out crying for him. I had no idea that he knew the Lord at one time, that he right. was gifted and i thought my god man what who destroyed your faith right how did you lose that so all of a sudden i mean you know it took on a whole different you know i saw him as a spawn from hell it was just you know a total tear goat and you know boy he was just mr evil walking and uh then realized oh my god here's a hurt brother mm-hmm. whose space has been shattered so i keep prayer all the time now i just really you know it's really it took on a whole different atmosphere with him because i saw him as someone he's a walking wounded right so you know you you love your family members so i mean i'm not going to cuddle up to rick warren tomorrow Uh, i'm not going to be his judge either you know he claimed to be a christian but now his things that he's saying is just totally denying christ Right. So it's a wheat and tear thing. 
But here's a guy who's, you know, you could see it in his eyes when he couldn't answer certain questions because he was put on the spot. Because mm-hmm. this is something he once believed in. Now he couldn't have an answer for why he no longer believed it. Right. And he wanted, we didn't want to really say anyway. Uh, we ran into another guy that way. I, Well, you, I don't think you were there that one day. But the author of, um, what is it, Underground Bases? I don't recall the man. No. Well, he's another one. Uh, as soon as he found out I was a Christian, he stormed out of the st- out of my store when I was had it in Roswell. Oh, Mars, Tex Mars. No, not Tex. No, no. That, and he didn't storm out. No, Tex Mars was disappointed. He left disappointed. He saw me as an enemy, but he's had a bad. He's gotten a bad line from all of Christianity. Right. We're not all his enemy like he thinks. So the Collins elite, you know, goofball stuff. Right. No, this was, um, oh, I, I want to say Campbell was his name, but I'm, I'm not sure. But anyways, he was the author of um, uh, The Deep Underground Basis. Great book. Excellent research. Um, the way he derived and got a lot of information that was all blotted out from secret information was he went to accounts receivable and found out what the government had been spending money on for specialized digging material and everything. And through that. So it's just, you know, common sense and math. You could tell, oh, wow, they were (laughs) everything that was alleged is what they bought, you know, specialized equipment. And it's doing what people are accusing them of doing. Guess what? Busted. Right. But the back door open, you know, so the guy's pretty good. I really respect his work. But now it's a whole different level. This guy was a disgruntled Christian. Somebody destroyed his faith or something destroyed his faith. Uh, he won't. He's so angry he won't even talk about it. But it changes the whole approach. When I know that somebody was once enlightened, once born again, and had tasted and seen and know the Lord is good, and now their faith is shattered, I don't look at them as hostile anymore. I look at them as you know, just a a tear goat. I see here's a walking wounded. What can I do to help restore this brother or sister in the Lord? And I think we should all have that kind of a Instant affection for our fellow brothers and sisters. Was it James Morkin? Was it? No. Um, you know, I'm yeah, sitting here totally engrossed in trying to figure out who this guy is. And I know we don't have a lot of time to do this, but oh, you know, I forgot one. I forgot one person I was going to mention. It, I don't know whether I even bother should Meryl Monroe. Yeah. I have, this is how different things, I'm not a Unitarian Universalist or anything, so I'm not, but I'm saying that we're living in Pinocchio world. There's a lot of things that are interconnected that you would never think were connected. I have a 1952, um, let's see, it was a 1952 uh, Life magazine front page. Marilyn Monroe's on the front page, and it's her, like, you know, coming out uh, just, you know, as a major star. This is just beginning to embark on her career as a major star, going from Norma Jean Dorgany to, you know, Marilyn Monroe. And the main article, now here she's on the front cover, nice big photograph of her. And then the main feature article for the whole Life magazine that month. Yeah. The case for unidentified flying object, flying saucers. Oh, wow. Now, what are the chances that those two are interconnected like that on a magazine, on the same magazine? 
Marilyn Monroe and you life too. <laughs> now, I have a book by Don uh, Burleson. He's the New Mexico director uh, for MUFON, Mutual UFO Network. He wrote a book. I knew him because uh, he was the area director when I lived in Roswell for the four years, and I was a member of MUFON. He would never let me speak because he was a little nervous about the um, uh, the biblical thing of UFOs and aliens. His he was had a fear that we were just demonizing everything, and so in his mind, he wanted to be fair for any potential good aliens that are out there that we might want to persecute as under you know uh, religious right superstitions or whatever. But seeing past that and not taking anything personal, this was a very kind, considerate um, individual as a person, as a human. And so from his limited information, he doesn't know the Jesus I know. And so from his limited information, he's seeing it from a different perspective. And I get it because he is a kind, considerate person. It's just part of his personality. So he's concerned about possible good guys that are going to be demonized by religious superstition people. So that never bothered me. But. I knew him as an investigator. He's pretty thorough, very methodic. Um, he's the kind that won't grab things from the UFO, you know, it's all friendly or anything. If he sees there's consistent patterns of something that is not quite right, he'll present everything. He remains objective. And so he's had my respect in that way as being a pretty open, fair, uh, creditable researcher. Right. He wrote a book. He wrote a book on... The Murder of Marilyn Monroe by our government. Now, the only reason I, I mean, when I, Marilyn Monroe knew about UFOs and she was going to go to, that's why she died. Uh-huh. Oh, right. That sounds really crazy. And I did. I thought that was crazy. But because he wrote it, I thought, you know what? I, I, I'm, don't make a judgment. The guy's a pretty good, upright guy. He's a good researcher. I'll read it just because I know him and I trust him. And I'm interested to see what he's actually got to say. My gosh, it's a short book. I read it. He's got enough evidence. Wow. It's real. And I I truly believe that he's got some credible information. Now, I'm not saying that Kennedy's killed him, that some people are, you know, just ranting like that. No, because she was exposed to information that she was aware of, and she was concerned and was going to speak out. She felt that the... You know, citizens had a right to know what potential weirdo things that we were dealing with. Right. So somebody in the government took her out. I'm not yeah. saying it's Kennedy's. And he doesn't say it's the Kennedy's either. It's just she was too close to a lot of high-profile people because of her association with the Kennedy's. And, right. and they took her out. Now, there's another one. Jackie Gleason and Richard Nixon. Who would have thought? I mean, they were, believe it or not, they were good golfing partners. And they would get together down in Florida every year for this golfing contest thing. And they're always comparing notes. Well, um, one time he's, I think it was uh, Gleason said something first. And he said, he, you know, what do you, what do you think about UFOs? And he said, well, actually, I, you know, just personally, I believe in them. And, and I've got information and different things that I've kept um, files on, and he says, oh, so have I. And so they started comparing notes, and they had pretty much the same perspective on everything. And he says, meet me here tomorrow. I'm going to take you down to a base. I want to show you a few things. So Nixon took Gleason on his Air Force base in Florida. 
I hadn't read the article yet or anything, uh, you know, all the way through. It didn't mention the base or anything. And then he started describing the base. And he described in this western corner of this uh, base where there was a building kind of isolated on the west-south section. And right away I'm going, oh, my God. I know I was stationed there. Mm-hmm. He can't be Homestead Air Force Base. And then he says it in the article, Homestead Air Force Base. <laughs> now, this was in 1971 when he took Jackie Gleason to show this building. Now, this was a strategic air command base. So, I mean, there were buildings there that had some places had more guards than others. This was like in the back 40, a building that was all by itself in the back 40 out in the boondocks uh, on the base. And the base was a pretty big base. Yet there was more guards there than any other building I'd seen anywhere. Well, again, you know, it's a sack base, so it's going to have a lot of guards in a lot of different places. So it wasn't that unusual, but I'm standing there within uh, maybe 150 feet from the entrance, and I'm noticing how heavily guarded it is, and I'm noticing how remote this place is, and I'm wondering, and almost had a check in my spirit, there's something isn't right here. Right. And here I am looking at this building in 1969, two years beforehand, which means that what Jackie Gleason was shown by Richard Nixon was all the remains of the Roswell crash in 1947. They had all the bodily remains of everything in that building. I was there two years beforehand staring at it, wondering, and had a check in my spirit. I wasn't a Christian then. I had a check in my spirit that something that I'm looking at here isn't right. Something is big is going on on the other side of that. Right. Was it, that was at Homestead Air Force Base. I was there two years before all of this happened. I was standing 150 feet away from every answer to everything I ever had about the Roswell incident. And all the things were there inside. Man, that blew my mind. <laughs> and I'll bet. It's like, you know. I'm glad that I, it's probably a good thing that I didn't know, because had I known that at 19 years old with no brain in my head at all and no experience, that would have been the end of my life right there, probably. Yeah, you would have been dead. Oh, there was nothing was going to keep me from going in there. I mean, if I had to dig a tunnel, if I had to lie, if I had to fake out, whatever it took, I was going to try, I would, I would have tried to go in there. Because one time at, at my uh, strategic uh, air command base where our missiles were actually located out in the Everglades, um, I had an officer friend. Now, I had the lowest level of um, uh, security clearance. I had a secret clearance. This guy, he was an officer, a friend of mine. Um, he had a, uh, I think it was a top secret clear- clearance. He had a, like a middle range clearance. So I wasn't allowed to go into the battery control central. That was restricted for, you know, people with a much higher security clearance than I had. But we got to talking one night because we were on 24-hour manning, which means we're out in the middle of the Everglades. We got foosball and TV to watch. And when TV's over back in those days, it was over at 11 o'clock. So there was nothing broadcasted. So, uh, you know, we got tired of playing foosball. So we just talked. And we were talking about all kinds of crazy stuff. And, and uh we walked, I, I mean, we just carried our conversation in. Next thing you know, I'm in Battery Control Central, and I look up, and I see the Bermuda Triangle marked in red located on the map. And I go, what is that? And he looked up, and he realized, he says, hey, you're not even supposed to be in here. 
out right now out get out of here really i you know you can't be in here okay but come on tell me that's that was the Bermuda Triangle. What do you know? So what do you know about it? He says, whatever I do know isn't much, but I'm not going to tell you because I can't. But obviously you saw that it's, it's there and we do recognize it. Mm-hmm. Whoa. Now, oh, wow. so you know what the first thing I was going to do? I wanted to charter a boat and go out there and see what's going on. I'm glad I didn't. I probably would have, you know, <laughs> I might have disappeared, never to come back. Um I didn't know what the heck I was doing then either, you know, I, I, but I was, I had every serious intention of saving my money and I was going to charter a boat and go out in the middle of the thing and see what was going on. Now, now I know from the scriptures in Job, it says that there's um, dangling doors that are sometimes open and sometimes closed. Right. And it's at the 33.3 degree latitude line. And that's exactly where the devil's triangle is. And if you go right on the other side of the earth, it's on the um, the Dragon Sea, where the same kinds of anomalous things happen. The green, you know, the, the eerie green fog and all that. This is the physics of what's being described when those doors are open are exactly what the uh, Operation Rainbow, the USS Eldridge, when it was transported out of there and projected in in 1984. Yep. That same kind of of physics or physical characteristics took place there. So it's something to do with space time. I believe the Bible says that this is a chasm that separates the upper from the lower chamber. And so that chasm is at the 33.3 degree line. Again, 33.3, you know, there's all kinds of, it's the highest level of knowledge attainable by mortal men. Anything beyond that is supernatural. Um, it's, you know, it's, it's the same line where the Mount Hermon, where the, Sons of God first descended upon earth. Um, 410 miles due east is where they were immortalized as gods and goddesses at the Tower of Babel. And then you go all the way across the other side of the world. Gosh, you end up at Dallas at the book uh, hotel where Kennedy was assassinated. You end up in downtown Roswell, New Mexico, where that second appearance, uh, the second coming of uh, the Sons of God appeared. I don't want to sound I don't want to sound eerie, but uh, the Patriots just beat the Jets thirty-three to zero. <laughs> just telling you, sorry. Had, yeah, you're well, talking about thirty-three, and I, I just—it was on my computer. I'm like, I—I I just got to share that. Sorry. You know what? I'm telling you, I'm telling you, and this could drive a person crazy. It could. It really could. But, and here's the thing, though: everything is connected with. Zero ones. It's, it is a computer program. So none of these things are by chance. Marilyn Monroe being in that um, that uh, magazine and the connections there. It's not by chance. We are living. It all comes down to zero and ones. Uh, Dave and Mark Flynn really have a good tangible grasp of that. They see this world as a matrix, as a computer program. And because they're both trained in that aspect, they see it even deeper and richer than most of us do. Now, the thing is, with symbols or signs like that, there's two things that happen. One is they will use symbols and signs to proclaim what they're going to do before they do it. That's what they have to do. That's part of quantum physics. But the other thing is they also have affirmation. They have to declare what has been done. And so if you don't have some source to decide which is coming and which is going, you're just following symbols and not having an anchored source. You're getting a mixed bag of things that you don't know whether they're 
uh, things that have been said in anticipation of what's going to happen or whether it's things is affirmation or what's already happened. So you get a mixed bag trying to figure it all out. You know what? You're going to drive yourself crazy. You're going to be some obnoxious um, conspiracy freak. It's overwhelmed signs and symbols. The signs, signs everywhere, signs going to block up my memory and blow my mind. Well, yeah, because you don't have it anchored. If you use the Bible and believe that anything that comes against our faith can and has a biblical answer, and you pray and have patience to wait through, you will find chapter, text, and verse of a scripture or something that alludes and puts those symbols in a proper place, confirmed by the Word of God or denied by the Word of God. You're going to know whether it's coming or going or you know, up from down and in and out. And you will have a peace that passes all understanding because God's going to assure you he's got it under control. Don't worry about it. Right. See, that's so that's where signs, if you're just following signs and symbols, you're getting a mixed bag. You're going to drive yourself crazy because they're everywhere because we are in a computer matrix. Uh-huh. So the only way to not go crazy is to have it balanced in God's word. He gives right. us peace that passes all understanding. So, you know, these things are crazy. I mean, there was a crash one time. And I did all of the symbolism, the numerology and everything on it. It freaked me out, man. It was weird. We had a crash of two airplanes. One was the Thunderbirds and one was the Blue Angels. Do you remember when that happened? Vaguely. It happened within days. It was only like two days from each other. One, a Thunderbird crashed and the pilot was saved. The other, it was a Blue Angel and he died. Blue Angel, and the date that they died, the number on their jets, all of it lined up and t- started telling a story. And what the story basically was saying is that the Blue Angel failed and died. Uh-huh. But the Thunderbird rose again to live again. Uh-huh. Now, the Blue Angel, blue with the kachinas and everything, that was God's servant. And he failed and died. But the self-sufficient one survived to live again. Mm-hmm. The two trees, and you know, one is based on a tree of life, one based on a tree of self-sufficiency, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And so the message there, it was, it was actually, now, occultists can read this like a book. Some New Age initiates can read it like a book. And so they're seeing all of this, and they're being encouraged with signs and wonders that press them forward to show that they're going to get the victory. It's all, it's all a lie. It's all BS. But these things can be read like a book once you understand the symbology and the meanings, and you can read it. But again, the reason I could do it and didn't get me all freaked out, I know the devil's a liar. I know that he's just duping his people on with signs and wonders. I mean, God gives us signs and wonders of encouragement, and it's always through His Word, based on His Word, right. led by His Spirit. So. We get the Rima and we get the um, the logos of the word. And there's our security and our safety and our peace that passes all understanding. So they don't have that kind of confidence that we have. So they're pressed on with signs and wonders, but it's baseless. It's based on what? A liar? So they're going to believe what, you know, they're told. So they're, they're being pushed and motivated by signs and wonders, too. They can read the same writing that I can read, only I can read the word of God that anchors all of that to its true meaning and purpose. Right. You know, it's, it it is crazy, but again, we have to take the time and the patience to wait on the Lord 
to find our answer in his word. It's always going to be there. Anything that threatens our faith, we're going to have confidence that we will get an answer. It gives us a solid foundation to make us unmovable in our faith to the God that is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And the one that's already got the victory. Yep. That's a thing, you know, that, that we've already, the battle's already been won. All you got to do is read the 19th chapter of Revelation. If you're part of the Illuminati and the, the uh, Monsanto or um, the Masons, we're studying the efforts of losers. They lose. I read it in the end. If we're putting our trust in Jesus Christ, we've already won. Too bad most of us don't realize we've already won, or we wouldn't have all the anger and frustration or fear. And those idiots should know, but they're crazy. They don't know. Uh, just like the Dems, they lost. They're losers. We're just yeah. studying the efforts and attempts of losers. They don't win. We do. Mm-hmm. So they lost and don't even know that they've already lost. <laughs> that's right. that's, that's on them, man. <laughs> so, yeah, there's some, you know, it's, it's strange, but it's all there. But, again, God gives us the balance by the promises and the hopes in his word that right. he's in control, always has been, always will be in control. That's right. <clears throat> hey, is anybody getting ready to turn into a pumpkin oh, over there? Yeah, I've been thinking about that. Yeah, about yeah it's seven pumpkin time. <laughs> about seven minutes ago, it's pumpkin time. So, guys, what are we going to do next week? Uh, we got any guests coming? Or um, I know that in the middle of November we have Bob Britton coming on. Cool. Uh, okay. That'd be he's nice. writing a book on Urantia, and he's also got some other things he wants to share with us too. I think that's like on the twenty-first or something like that. But until then, no, uh-uh. not yet. All right, that I'll could change at any moment. Yeah, I'll see if I can work on. I've got one guy. Um, well, if I get transportation up and running soon, maybe I can get a hold of this one guy. I'd like to bring him in. Maybe um, he's one that got led to the Lord by the Emerald Tablets, Toth, Egyptian mysticism. Um, okay. Oh, it's pretty unique, pretty bizarre how he. Uh. Is uh, come to know the Lord, um, and he has a very unique ministry. Um, he took he took the seven points of the chakra on the Hindu belief, you know, the chi going through the spine, and he took the seven sins, deadly sins, in uh, Proverbs, like a transparency. He overlaid them, and literally. Every one of those addresses a physical manifested result of that specific uh, sin. So it's relationship with each other. I mean, it's not, again, it's not a chance or choice. It's not crossing a line into, you know, uh, spiritual wickedness. It is something of a truth sandwich between a false premise and a false conclusion. But it can give us insight as to what things spiritually are affecting us physically. And why? So when you line up one to the other, wow, it goes, oh, man, it's something to pray about. It's something to seek about to get healing. It's incredible. He has a pretty incredible ministry. Um, oh, that's neat. Well, let us know yeah. what happens with that. Yeah. Well, I'll, I'll see if I can you know, bring him in uh, sometime. I haven't been able to get around you know, uh, much People have wondered whether I disappeared or got raptured or taken or something, but I haven't. I keep assuring them I haven't. Right. So. All righty. Well, 
that having been said, maybe yeah. we uh, will end it here. And, and uh, folks, we just want to thank you for listening in. Uh, I think we had a really good show tonight, very informative. Jim presented a lot of things, a lot of brain food, a lot of spirit food for us to think about and, uh, and to pray about, of course. So uh, we look forward to seeing you next Monday night. Uh, we may or may not have a guest. If not, we'll have a subject, I'm sure, that is very, very informative and very interesting and, and uh, a reason for you to be here like you were tonight. So, guys, I want to say good night. God bless uh, along to you along with the audience. And, uh, and until we speak again. Hey, can we hang on just for a second? I want to talk to both of you. Uh, just yeah. Real quick, yeah, okay. Like. So I'll go ahead and shut the show out. Bye, folks. Uh, have a blessed week, okay? God bless. God bless.